Welcome to Time to Talk. I'm Alex Holmes. I'm a therapist and author. I think here it would be prudent to remind you that while I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist or psychologist, and none of the advice or responses to questions in the show should be taken as direct medical advice, but as guidance towards the help and support you need, as well as help giving you clarity on a variety of topics from my point and perspective. That being said, I do invite you to exercise caution as a listener. There may be some difficult questions that come up in these episodes, and I would like to remind you to choose you first. So this is a blanket trigger warning. There may not be anything triggering in the episode, but this is a trigger warning nonetheless. I will not be offended if you skip a question or an episode, so please make sure you are safe at all times. There will be conversations across the various episodes around suicide and different elements of mental health, which might be triggering. So just exercise caution and I will not be offended. I hope that is clear. And with that, let's get on with the show. And we are back. Welcome to another episode of Time to Talk, guys. Um, yeah, I'm Alex Holmes, and I'm here to chat to you. I think um, it's been an amazing, amazing few weeks uh, trying to get back into the, the swing of things with regards to the show. Um, so hopefully we have a... A, a decent enough show for you guys lined up here um yeah so bear with me while i iron out kinks of how the episodes are formed and what i am hoping to achieve with the show and hopefully you'll see what that or hear what that looks like um as we go but yeah so i'm just doing a check-in um i want all of you to just sit back and really just you know take a deep breath Sometimes it's good just to ground ourselves when we are figuring out or even embarking on something new um, in a new space. I mean, Brene Brown talks about this whole idea of FFTs. I think it's effing first times. And um, I think that that's something that I'm experiencing right now. Um, yeah, I've been doing this show for a long time, but... I think whenever I introduce a new way of doing it, um, I get anxious. I start to feel, uh, start to feel really self-conscious that things just aren't going to work out the way I want them to, and um, yeah, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a challenge for me um, entering into this new space. But I mean, I'm convicted, and I think that I definitely want to do it the way I'm going to do it, as you will see. Um, so yeah, we just we just we just run with it. Alright. Um so the way that the shows are going to operate going forward are like so. Um I've got three segments on the show. It's let's talk about it, where I pick uh some commentary from the news or a public figure or something of interest and we delve deep into it. Well, deep enough. Um I don't really want these episodes to be too long. So we delve deep into it um, and I look at it from a mental health, masculinity, therapy, cultural standpoint um, and I just provide my opinion on what is being said um, and there are some amazing things going on. I think it's always good for some um, reflections as well um, with a lot of this stuff. So that's, let's talk about it. And then after that, we go into time to talk with friends. Um, so here I play uh, around 10 minutes of a conversation I've had with some guests um, for the show. And, you know, it'd be a 10 minute conversation, 10, 15. And, um, you know, in all my time working on podcasts, um, I found it very challenging as a way to, you know, as my own kind of production company and as my own producer and my own editor, and I'm just doing a lot of different things. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. Um, so I've created a gated community, um, which is very similar. And I coined that from um, The Friend Zone, which is an amazing podcast, by the way, um, with Dustin, Fran and Asante. And um, 
they started a Patreon and they call it the Gated Community. So behind this gated community that you pay and you get um, exclusive content for people who you know who really want to just contribute to the platform um, and want to experience more um so yeah so i'm building out a gated community and and behind that gated community will be the full um unedited conversation i have with these guests um i think too often we have these conversations and these podcasts and they're all curated clipped um, and pristine for people to listen to. And I think that, um, you know, I really want to be honest with you guys on here and I really want you guys to feel part of the community. Um, but it does take a lot of work. Um, so any of your contributions uh, to the platform would be appreciated. Um, so the platform, it will be £5 a month and you get, you know, access to the backlog of episodes and a full archive um, of unedited episodes as well there and you know you get a peek behind the podcast curtain too um, and you know over time I will be building that out to you know do ask me anything lives and all these different things that um, that I can offer you but for now be the unedited episodes so if you want to head over to that that's where you're going to find the full um conversation with guests and my guest this week is really really um amazing so um yeah i think you'd love to hear his full story but um from the bit that i put in i think you'll be okay um with that too um and then after that is what do you want to talk about and this is uh where i read your questions um a message from you guys uh, and you know it's not always about mental health sometimes it's about culture sometimes it's about a perspective on something that um you just want to hear from me on um if i haven't already given it and um yeah i'll just try my best to give you a nice balanced um answer as well so with that and a bit of insight, I'm curious to hear what you guys are going through too. So um, yeah, uh, so that's what you want to talk about. And then finally, to end it, we have a note to self. And I remember um, doing this as a segment in earlier iterations of the podcast, um, usually at the beginning. And um, it's just a small note, a small nugget from um, my book or a quote or an idea from somewhere um, that I can share with you guys uh so that is the structure of the show that's the new structure of the show and um obviously i'm not going to be repeating the structure every week but um as in breaking it down like this but this is the structure of the show and this is what i endeavor to keep if i add a new bit if i take a new bit if i take something away if something's not working that's just the nature of how we build shows um so yeah i think um it'll be really really uh fun to do and yeah i'll be you know talking about books i'll be talking about things that um you know ways to support our mental health in these times um we've had some rough moments going through stuff and um yeah i would love to just make sure that everybody is doing all right okay so without further ado let's let's talk about it So, today is World Mental Health Day 2022, and the theme is making mental health and well-being for all a global priority. Okay, so this is a very interesting topic, um, and I've been, uh, you know, I've been, I've been muddling around with this, um, this idea for a long time around making mental health and well-being a global priority. I think it's important to really acknowledge um, that with these things, a lot of it is environmental. Um, we have this habit of um, really individualizing the process. Um, you know, everything has to do with us. Um, it's us that needs to change. It's us that are going through stuff. And I want to get to something, um, you know, there was a, there was a piece in the, in the Guardian, um, several months ago by a clinical psychologist called Dr. Sana Asan. And 
she wrote a piece or they wrote a piece i don't know how they uh, identify um but they wrote a piece called i'm a psychologist and i believe we've been told devastating lies about mental it's a brilliant brilliant piece um i think that there's so much in there that i i recognized as um as a black man kind of entering this space professionally but also as somebody who has been doing mental health advocacy for a few years now um and trying to build awareness around it and um i think in the conversation that we're good that i'm going to put on later with um uh, with my guest we do have this conversation around um you know this idea around mental health awareness and kind of how we're just moving more and more away from awareness because i think we are aware of mental health now um i think it's important to really look at mental health education and understanding um which is which is really important and um dr sana uh has in this piece um it's like has in the piece really kind of broken down uh, the dis- the destigmatization um, of of mental health because it's this idea of that um, you know when we start to really like unpick what's happening in mental health we really get to the science of it you know like you probably would have heard that when it comes to depression everybody's speaking about oh it's a chemical imbalance in the brain it's this genetic thing now I'm no scientist and um, I. I just, but I still question what that means to a lot of people experiencing depression and experiencing this negative and poor experience of mental ill health. And um, I've always had this idea that um, that when it comes to mental health, we need to really consider what our environments are saying are we in spaces that allow us to grow? I think there's this idea of um, when we really sit down and consider, we always compare ourselves to plants as humans, right? We 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 compare ourselves to trees and plants and whatnot. And if you look in after a plant and it's it's in an environment that it can grow in, if there's enough sunlight, if there's enough water, um, like ample amounts of sunlight, ample amounts of water, um, it can flourish, it can blossom, it can bloom. I've got a plant here that I'm looking at right now that I'm not really taking the best care of. <laughs> so, like, it's looking at me and like, do you not have any shame? Like, <laughs> you haven't even watered me. Like, I watered, okay, so I watered her last week. Um, was it last week? Or was it a couple of weeks ago? And she's just looking at the, looking at me, wilting. And I think I need to move her into the sun. Um, so I'll do that in a minute. But the point is, like, when there's not a... And that's not enough, um, enough of what we need. We grow in a particular way, right? We grow in elements. So if a if a plant needs a lot of sun and it's and it's and it's in the shadows a lot of the time, it wilts in particular ways. It or, or it bends towards the sun, um, and if there's none at all, it doesn't grow in the way that we're supposed to. And I think this is important when it comes to um, the way that we nurture people. And the way that we nurture environments and we nurture the way that we are um that we are growing in this time and in this current time but what i'm seeing and what dr sana says in this uh piece this piece that she's written that they've written excuse me um in this piece that they've written there is a there is an a clear explanation around if there's all these things, uh, ob- not an explanation, observation around the, all these things that are happening in the world. You know, we've got this mental health crisis. We've got this, we're on the edge of an economic crisis akin to the 2008 crash. Um, we've got austerity at the highest levels it's ever been. Um, homelessness is at the highest level it's ever been. Um public morale is at the lowest level that it's ever been um education the nhs pensions the elderly the middle class the working class like things are not going well um in this uh in this phase of history right now considering 
we are a country that is in the West um, and a country that has benefited, you know, from the oppression of other nations. Uh, this country is operating in a way that is really detrimental to the people that live here. And um, it's becoming more and more a society that people don't really feel 100% a part of. Um, especially, I can speak for myself as a person of colour and an ethnic minority in this country, is that there's this feeling of wanting to not be here. Um, because when it comes to belonging and feeling as if we belong in a place, we don't really have that um, consideration here, you know? Um, and it's this consistent, and another generation that I am as well, I'm a millennial and I look to Gen Z and I think to myself, okay, so how are you guys coping with this? I grew up during the 2008 crash and, um, you know, when I grew up in the 90s as a child, it I didn't feel a lot of pressures coming from my, my parents about particular things. But um, there were obviously pressures going on for sure. But there is a there is a drastic difference in uh, quality of life. So Dr. Sina says um, several things in here. Um, and, she makes, and they make a really good point around a liberation psychology, which I will come to in a moment. Um, but they said they made quite a really interesting point around therapy um, which feeds well into the question that we have later um, but also around um, that around mental health being stuck in the person and not in the environment um, and so like, let's get into it so they say in efforts to destigmatize mental distress Mental illness is framed as an illness like any other, rooted in supposedly flawed brain chemistry. In reality, recent research concluded that depression is not caused by a chemical imbalance of the brain. Ironically, suggesting we have a broken brain for life increases stigma and disempowerment. What's most devastating about this myth is that the problem and the solution are positioned in the person, distracting us from the environments that cause our distress. points were made. What's most devastating about this myth is that the problem and the solution are positioned in the person, distracting us from the environments that cause our distress. So this is what I was mentioning earlier about plants and about us being in these environments. If you're in an environment, you know, even when you're, even as locally as the home, if the home is a stressful, um, I don't like using the word, the term to toxic, but if the environment at home is stressful um, and not conducive to a healthy um, and nurturing um, environment for a child or a person or a couple or parents the the effect on on mental health like drastically on mental on good mental health really drastically decreases and um, I think it's important to to note that as well um, but also if you take ourselves out of the home and in schools, um, if schools are overwhelmed and uh, pupils aren't getting the support that they need and teachers aren't getting the support that they need and the systems in there aren't being supported in supporting these educators and the educated, then again, we develop um, a nation of people who are below average um, and are operating as a substandard. Um, when you are out in the world, so if you are a black person, if you're a queer person, if you're black and queer, if you're a woman, if you're a woman and you're a minority, if you're if you're a disabled, if you're a working class, if, if you're if you are part of one of these many intersections that we have um, in society today, then the environment and how you're treated in that environment is going to be very detrimental to how you experience um, and how your mental health is experienced going forward. And I think it's super, super, super important to really think about that because when we start to look at 
we talk about mental health and we talk about mental health awareness and I think when we're trying to really understand it being something that is a global priority we need to start looking at the, our environments and how our environments are shaped so when people are and it's not just about the natural world it's not just about our rivers and our forests and that those things are super important and they are high up on the list but it's not just about them it's about how we are treated and how we feel in this community and in these societies do we belong here do we feel that we belong here do we feel that we are part of a community because when we have this idea of just being of, of individualizing mental health but without the support of a community community is so important and i think i remember back during the pandemic we are still in the pandemic but when we when in the early days when things were locked down lock off finished um it was really interesting to be around my neighbors and speak to neighbors and understand what the and understand who's there and who's out there and um that community feeling that community understanding of being together and learning from one another and talking to people that you never used to speak to really setting up that community focus is important and that was really beneficial to us as as a as, as a household but also as a community on on my street and i think that that's something that is super important when we're talking about it um and i've had conversations with my friends quite recently around community healing and community health um that is something that we need to really strive for uh, a lot more too um dr sana goes on to say Individual therapy is brilliant for lots of people and antidepressants can help some people cope. But I worry that a purely medicalized, individualized understanding of mental health puts plasters over gaping wounds without addressing the source of violence. They encourage us to adapt to systems, thereby protecting the status quo. It is here that we fail marginalized people the most. Black people's Black people's understandable expressions of hurt at living in a structurally racist society are too often medicalized, labeled dangerous and met with violence under the guise of care. Black people are more likely to be tasered, sectioned, restrained and over-medicated than anyone else in our mental health services today. Happy Black History Month, people. They go on. Instead of trying to change mindsets in therapy, we need to change race and class-based hierarchies, the housing and economic system. Universal basic income has psychological benefits and recent studies show how it improves the crises of anxiety and depression. As a clinical psychologist, some of my most powerful work has been not in the therapy room, but in successfully advocating for secure housing for or working in the community with queer, black and brown facilitators in organizations such as Beyond Equality, shout out to Beyond Equality, I'm an ambassador, to prevent gender-based violence. The network, the network at Psychologists for Social Change show us a practical imagining of this work. We also need social change that is preventative, such as investing in young people and community-led services, such as Healing Justice London and Forefront. They work to shift trauma in marginalized communities through building social connectedness and social action and creativity towards futures free of violence. So that all being said, there is so much that is being done to um, impact the way that we experience mental health in this country. Um, and that's just this country. Globally, mental health is not a priority because there is tensions going on in Iran. We have issues happening between Russia and Ukraine. We have, um, there are regimes across the world where people are battered, bruised, beaten down, killed and oppressed and below the standard by which a 21st century world should be experiencing that we are not even making the active steps to change that in a way because we are still talking about 
mental health awareness. We're still talking about it from a perspective of distance. And I think it's so important that we need to lean in. We need to lean in and focus on the things that are causing us to enact the same acts of violence to people in the country that they are in. We have DNI um, in workplaces. We have all of these race workshops, masculinity workshops, uh, gender-based violence workshops. We have all of this stuff that is going on. And, you know, in some countries where we have the resources and the acceptance to be able to make it as part of the, the zeitgeist and the status quo, there are places around the world that that just doesn't um, exist. And even in the UK, it's a very, very hard hill to climb. Um, from my own perspective of having to, of wanting to work with, um, within masculinity and tapping into perspectives around how we can change what it means to be man. I'm, I'm battling with the Andrew Tates and the Jordan Petersons and the, the, the manosphere that is out there, which is really providing a perspective and you know what we can do is accept perspectives of things providing a perspective on masculinity and manhood but also enacting and enabling um behaviors that counter the work that people like dr sana are talking about and beyond equality and the things that we need to do in order for us to create this really healthy understanding that global and mental health is a global priority and needs to be made one for all so i'm going to finish up just by talking about liberation psychology that dr sana mentions in this um in this piece uh, and the piece will be in the show notes so you can go and read uh, read it it went viral several months back but as you know i was incog negro somewhere else um minding my business and um they say the UK could learn a lot from liberation psychology. So liberation psychology was founded in the 1980s by the Salvadorian activist and psychologist Ignacio Martin Barro. It argues that we cannot isolate mental health problems from our broader societal structures. Suffering emerges within people's experiences and histories of oppression. Liberation psychology sees people not as patients, but potential social actors in the project of freedom valuing their own lineages, creativity and experience rather than being forced into a white, Eurocentric and individualistic idea of therapy. It directly challenges the social, cultural and political causes of distress through collective social action. So I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to leave that there. And um, just with that thought of what can we do as community? Not the community, the black community, the brown community, the queer community, the disabled community, What? none of that. What can we do as community, as people here today with feelings, with purpose, with intent, with with intention of really coming into change and with our and shifting the way that what we believe about ourselves what can we do today that challenges the social cultural and political causes of distress through collective social action what can we do you know and that can manifest in so many different ways it does not mean that you have to be outside picketing some people do that there's a particular personality type that is an activist in that way and will go out and do those things but my way is through writing and doing these shows and speaking about these topics and engaging in conversation with people in order to figure out how I can step into these areas and I know sometimes it feels like I'm not doing enough but and I really want to do more but I can only do what I can do at the time that I'm doing it um and it is not forcing anybody to get to say that they have to go out and do something. What I'm saying is, it's important to think about how we can really reevaluate where we're at 
and what we do and how we can change our environments to help and support people and to make this whole day worth it you know how we can make mental health and well-being for all a global priority because at the end of the day it's us who are here inhabiting the earth in the systems that we've created distressing ourselves and putting ourselves in problems for things that we don't really need to be doing when we could really really alleviate a lot of the stresses that are happening because a lot of the things that are happening are made by the choices of people so i'm gonna leave that there and yeah i'm gonna take a break this episode of time to talk is brought to you by better help when I first started going to therapy, it was one of the hardest things I could ever do. Because it was one of the most vulnerable things that you can ever do, sitting in front of somebody and sharing your deepest, darkest self and going through a process of healing, that wasn't the first part that was hard. The first part that was hard was finding a therapist. So I'm proud to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Note, it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counselling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas but we are in a pandemic and the more help we can get, the better. So, visit betterhelp.com, time to talk, 21. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com, forward slash time to talk, 21. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional and get 10% off your first month. The service is available worldwide, guys, so there's literally no excuses. It's that simple. Head over to betterhelp.com forward slash time to talk 21 and you can get 10% off today. Let them know I sent you BetterHelp. Start living a happier life today. Time to talk with friends. Yes. So before we get into it, let me just introduce my guest. My guest is Ben West. He is a mental health advocate. And in 2018, his world collapsed around him when he unexpectedly lost his younger brother, Sam, to suicide. In the raw aftermath of this tragedy, he found the strength to learn, educate and campaign about mental health. And he wrote a book. He's been doing so many different things. He's been fundraising. He's been advocating for teachers training to our teachers to get mental health first aid training. He's you know advocated for people to talk about suicide and um, you know how we can recognize the signs of depression in young people. He has been active um, and he's been doing amazing work. He has been on the show before. And when he came on the show back in 2019, I just lost my grandmother and we had a whole conversation about grief. It was such a hard conversation to have, but we had it. Um, and Ben is just an amazing person. So we talk about in this segment, we talk about his new book published by HarperCollins called This Book Could Save Your Life, Breaking the Silence Around the Mental Health Emergency. And Ben chats to me about how what it was like writing the book, uh, the level of vulnerability he needed to put it together, um, how he felt finally putting his story down um, and the story of his brother Sam. And it's an amazing conversation and the full conversation will be behind the gated community. We talk about so many different things. We talk about Marley Russell and her social media um, battles with her parents and you know how it came to her losing her life um, we talk about you know working as a mental health advocate within politics and trying to help change policy and the like and we get into get into that on there so if you're interested jump on to the gated community and you can have a look and those and that information will be in the show notes but without further ado here is the conversation with Sam Let's talk about your book. 
uh, let's get to your book because you know that's uh, your latest thing. Um, we'll get to some other things a bit later in the conversation. But your book came out this year. This book could save your life. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's honestly, it's very strange that it's out there. <laughs> um, I wrote it last summer for three months and it was just me, my editor on Zoom um, writing this book. And so it was just our little thing that we had going and suddenly for it to be in the world and people to have read it. Firstly, and for my, it, it's a really strange feeling. It's a really strange feeling, um, especially because the book is so honest and such a, um, you know, I didn't hold anything back. It was an absolutely unfiltered thing uh, about my life. So it's sort of weird that people read it. <laughs> but, um, but you know, on a, on a deeper sort of level, the reason I wrote it was because I wanted to help. Um, and, you know, for me, there's very, I, ha- I care very little about the money I'm making off the book. You know, I absolutely... Could not care less. For me, the, the 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 dedication is I want to get that book in as many people's hands because I genuinely think it can it can help. Um, that's always been what I've tried to do from day one. Um, you know, I'm not in this space because I want to make a name or anything like that. I'm in it because I can't stand the idea of anyone else going through what I went through. Um, and so to know that that book's in houses around the country now being given to children being given to friends that are struggling um it seems like every day I get a new message from some parent or some friend being like I've just read your book I've just given it to my son or I've just given your book I've given it to my cousin who's struggling and they've just said it's it's helped them so much um or it's helped me have this conversation with one of my friends or one of my family members like to hear that it's um yeah it's beautiful actually um and it's it's an honor it really is an honor to have been able to be given the opportunity to write that and and use my story to create something good. I've always said from day one, like Sam was not a, uh, a sad person. He was happy. He was funny. Um, and when something like this happens, it becomes a sad story. And I just didn't want it to be a sad story. Um, I've never wanted what happened to be a sad story. And so I guess for me, it's just been a mission of trying to make it into a happy story and a story where lives are saved and, and you know, Sam's a little hero um that people don't know about and so for me this book is like that stepping stone towards it actually being it's not a sad story there's a sad moment in the story but overall it's a happy story um so this book is that stepping stone uh, yeah it's really lovely that it's out in the world really really lovely that's amazing man um i I mean it's it's not easy writing a book uh for listeners out there it's not easy putting everything (laughs) together dedicating dedicating you had three months i had nine um and even then it was a lot just trying to get all the stuff i mean it's just you zoom and yeah. a mysterious you're editor blank piece of paper and you're like oh my gosh what do i do yeah. you got this yeah. impending deadline coming and you're like it's just this is gnawing away at the side and it's and it's, and it's and you know it's intensely personal like you know you talk about your family you talk about sam you talk about um what's happened what happened thereafter um, you've got amazing nuggets of advice and things that you know that could really, really help a lot of people. Um, when you were writing the book, um, did you? How did you overcome that feeling of you know I'm sharing so much, I'm sharing so much, um, and then and and get it down and get it into the book? But was there a feeling of like anticipation before you do it? Because you know. If people listeners want to go back, they can listen to the you know the conversation we had several years ago. Um, but at the same time, so um, so people that are aware of you are aware of your story. Um, but if you want to kind of like you know just kind of outline a little bit more about your story and then how you overcame those feelings of having to share quite mm-hmm. a bit um, in the book as well, just for some yeah. people who are fresh to hearing about you. Yeah. So basically. I should never have been a mental health campaigner. Like this was absolutely not what I should be doing with my life. Um, it was not where I was going when I was 17. I had absolutely no idea what any of this was or any of it meant. I didn't know what mental health was, blah, blah, blah. Um, if if you'd gone back and been like 17 year old Ben, this is what you're doing now. I don't even what, what on earth are you talking about? How does this happen? Um, basically, my younger brother was diagnosed with clinical depression in 2017. Um, he was 15 years old at the time. And then... In January 2018, um, Sam took his own life. And I guess that was the most horrific thing you could possibly imagine um, having to deal with an experience. Um, Obviously, not just the experience of, you know, that night and what happened that night, which is 
you know, it's traumatizing. It's, uh, you know, I've had many, 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 many hours of counseling just to try and comprehend what happens. Um, but actually just the grief, the loss, losing someone to this side brings up so many questions of like, what if, what if it's my fault? What if all of this? Um, it feels like such a waste. He was so talented at 15. Um, and I guess on the back of that, I just, off the back of all of that, I just went, this is not right. That so many people feel like they don't want to be here anymore, especially at such a young age. And I found out so many of my friends at school were also feeling pretty low and, and sometimes feeling like they didn't want to be here anymore. And I just remember thinking, we've got to do something about this, right? We got to have these people to have a conversation. And so that's when I decided, you know, I was going to do some charity event, get people talking. Um, and it, the ball has just rolled, the snowball has rolled and rolled and rolled over the last four years. Uh, I started campaigning for um, legis legislative change in terms of teacher training. Um, and it's been, what, four years? And, and I am far, far, far too deep to get out now. <laughs> um, um, but in terms of like, like writing that in the book, so basically my idea behind the book was I want to tell my story and be vulnerable so people understand that this stuff happens and, and that it's normal to feel certain ways and normal to go through stuff like this. Um, so... I, uh, I wrote it, but it was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was really, really hard to access that. But honestly, I totally forgot that people were going to read it. <laughs> I wrote it for me. And actually, I wrote the entire book for me, not for anyone else, um, which is really interesting because what you get then is actually not really a book. It's more of a journal. Um, it's more of a, these are my feelings. And actually, sometimes in the book, that's the first time I talk about certain things. It's the first time I've ever spoken about certain feelings. It's the first time I've ever spoken about, um, or first time I've ever analysed how I was feeling about certain situations. I write. I wrote, remember write, writing something and then being like, "Hang on, that's that's not a good thing. That's not good." So I feel like that, and then sort of analysing, you know, why why that wasn't a good thing to feel. So for me, it was just the most incredible experience. Obviously, especially the chapter where you know we go into what happened that night in particular. That was. Yeah, um, it took a very, very long time to get through that chapter, put it that way. And it was spent uh, spent with some very, uh, very lovely, but very difficult moments um, for me. But it was, you know, it, it, I started this book and I wrote this book because I was like, we need to get everything out there, honestly, openly, don't hold anything back because the real world doesn't hold anything back. So if you're reading in a book, it's got to be exactly as it is and exactly upfront as it is. Obviously, it's sensitive. You know, I don't want it to be triggering, but I think it's important that for me, especially, I was just totally, utterly unvulnerable. Um, but, you know, part of me, when it, when it was launched, was, that, was really anxious about it going out. So I was like, God, that's a huge chunk of my life I'm sharing that people have access to now. But also, you know, you, you redirect that into why I'm doing all of this. Um, and, you know, if it's helped one kid, then that is the most incredible gift, right? Um, for me, not, you know, not necessarily for anyone else. Like, the most incredible gift to me is if that's helped someone. Um, so I guess that, that helped with the anxiety because I was like, it's worth it. All right, let's get to what do you want to talk about? All right, so we've got a question here from, <laughs> from Pastor N. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but Pastor N asks and says, hey, Alex, it's a great thing you're doing here. Thanks for holding space for us and leading this conversation. Thank you, Pastor. With regards to therapy, what steps would you recommend for someone that has therapy on the to-do list but hasn't actioned it yet? What resources are there, particularly for black men in the UK, to begin a conversation with a therapist? What first steps would you recommend? And with regards to affordability, have you seen or heard of anything that would serve as a step before therapy if someone isn't in a position to go for it? Thank you. Talk soon. Thank you, Pastor, for your question. Um, yeah, this is a question that I get a lot, um, a lot of the time. Uh, so I'm probably going to just break it down into three different points, I think. There were three different questions that were asked in here. Um, so first of all, what steps would you recommend for someone that has therapy on the to-do list but hasn't actioned it yet? Um, the first thing I would do is I would assess how serious I am about 
going into therapy. Um, I had it on my to-do list for at least a year. Um, and it was a question of how long would I allow things to get, well, how long would I allow things to get as bad as they did become, <laughs> like as in an emotional breakdown, uh, physical ill health, um, contributing to my mental ill health and all of these different things. Um, how long would I allow that to happen before I took action? And um, I would say that some of the important things around taking steps is that you surround yourself with people or actually ask ask people who have been in therapy or, or who are going into therapy or are considering it as well. Um, start talking to them about your concerns, about what... Um, what therapy is like, um, what their experiences of therapy was, uh, why they stayed, why they left, all these different things. I think it's important at this stage to really do research around what kind of therapists are out there too, um, because it's not going to be the same experience for everybody. Everybody has a different experience of therapy. They have different relationships with their therapists. And when I say relationships, I mean professional relationships but also um there is a relationship between your therapist and there is a professional boundary that is respected in some ways um and you have to you know get to a point where you like being able to speak to this person you may like their style you may not um so yeah it would just be it'd be good to ask that question and begin to do that research um depending on how far you are in the journey and in the process of, you know, how far it is on your to-do list, if you're getting closer and closer to it actually happening, just start sending emails to therapists and start asking them um, pointed questions, but also trying to figure out exactly what it is that they can, um, that they can help you with um, and see if they are the ones for you. Um, and if there is a consultation, like a free consultation, then I would just take that up and just see what, um, not necessarily a free consultation because nowadays, you know, that's not always feasible for a lot of therapists, but if there is a consultation, I'll take it up. And if you're serious about this, um, yeah, just sending the email is actually the, is actually the first and best step that you could possibly do for yourself. Um, so backstory for me is that my best friend at the time, she wrote up my draft letter, <laughs> my email, because I was hesitating and procrastinating on the whole thing. It was all overwhelming for me. I didn't know whether I could afford it, didn't know whether I could do it. And um, she wrote it up for me and she sent it, no, she sent it to me and said, this is the, this is the email that I sent my therapist. Um, you have until the end of the week because <laughs> um, I know you really want to do it um, you're just not kind of taking the next steps to do it so I would say you know have until the end of the week to send off this email um, to several therapists and see which ones you like um, but this is what I think you should do and um, that was good because I had people around me who were in therapy and who understood it so I didn't feel so much alone there were people that had that experience um, as well um, what resources are there particularly for black men in the UK to begin a conversation with a therapist? Um, so again, like outside of emailing them, um, there are opportunities to browse. Um, if you're, you know, if you're black, African, Asian, um, there is the black African and Asian therapist network, um, where they have, it's a directory of black African and Asian therapists um, in the UK. And, you know, you can go through there and see the kind of people that you like. Um, and that's one of the biggest resources that I would say any black person um, should do, um, for black men in particular. Um, there's also Black Minds Matter, which is super important as a platform as well, as a charity too. There's Frontline Therapy. Um, all of these are Black-owned, Black-led, um, and Black-facing. Um, you know, at, like, actually Black-facing <laughs> at the front. Um, and, uh, yeah, they are led in those ways for people who um, 
you know, a bit despondent with the current system, you know, based on the, you know, the first segment that we just heard with regards to, um, you know, white Eurocentric therapy. Um, if you want a black therapist, I think it's, it, it's important. Or if you want a minority ethnic therapist, um, in general, it might be very, very um, poignant to go to that website and start to pick out some of your favourite um, choices uh, of therapists, the ones that kind of align with you and what you need right now. Uh, for me, I needed a black woman as a therapist at the point of time in which I was um, going to therapy. And um, yeah, uh, that has marginally shifted um, at this stage. But for some people, they may need a black man. For some people, they, need a, they may need a trans person. They may need um, a queer person. They may need a, a therapist who is disabled, you know. So um, those are really important. Uh, places to to go to um, and there's also self space self space is an important it's not black owned or centric but it does have um it is it is very accessible um and you know they are doing brilliant work in uh, the mental health and therapy space so i would suggest to do that and the final part with regards to affordability um yeah i would say head over head, as they do some research um and find some men's groups men's groups are uh if this is specifically for uh men as a question um i'd say find some men's groups or some support groups uh these are really um brilliant ways of getting into um important therapeutic environments um couldn't think of the words there um could it, like, this is very important get into therapeutic environments being able to share learn be in community again it's back to that whole thing around being in community with other people it doesn't have to be individualized all the time you can do it alongside individual therapy but being in community with others is important too um and uh yeah so i'd say go to some men's groups there are several men's groups out there that are really impactful um there's men speak there are loads of men's groups i haven't i can't even think of so many i'll put some in the show notes um just as a just as a pointer but um there there are loads out there and some of them are free some of them are as low as like 10 pounds uh, per month so um i think it's just uh it's, it's important to be able to sit down and say, all right, I want to go to a men's group first so that I can just kind of be around men, um, you know, discussing experiences and whatnot. And it's important that you have a, you know, a seasoned professional as a facilitator. Um, and, you know, these, these can go um, several ways, right? Because, you know, you know what we're seeing lately is uh, when a lot of men gather it's not always the most um beneficial conversations that come out of it but there are some that have really good facilitators um i ran some men's groups um i would say i'm a good facilitator but um i also know of some other good facilitators who really don't take the bs uh from people um, they really address the community, um, the community aspect of it, um, and they're really there to help people heal and get through to the next phase um, of their healing and their their emotional um, development. So I would say that there are men's groups out there. I would I would suggest that first. Um, there are some um, low-costing therapy sessions like a frontline therapy, um, low-costing therapy sessions for people who can't necessarily afford the full price um, that is out there usually, um, typically. Um, but also, you know, as you had in the ad before, there's better help. Better help is always something as a as a way of getting into therapy too. Um, so yeah. Yeah, um, thank you for your question. Um, remember, if you want to ask a question, please throw it in the 
form that is in the show notes. It will take you to a very well thought through and put together form. Listen, it was literally copied template from Cal Newport. <laughs> like, I'm going to be so honest with you guys. <laughs> because ultimately, yeah, like I was doing the most. If you saw the questionnaire that I put out before, that I put together, and I was like, why am I, why does this feel like it's longer than it needs to be? So I started doing research and started finding out what other podcasters were were doing when it came to asking questions in um in for their podcasts and I just realized that I was doing the most so I went to a reliable source Cal Newport he had an amazing form and I thought boom these this is what I should be doing anyway so I put together this form um and if you want to go in there have a read um and just throw your questions in and I will endeavor to get to it but thank you Pastor N for your question and yeah, let's round up the show. So, a note to self. Um, I'm going to just pull, I think the first several notes to self I'm going to pull from my book, um, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. Um, simply as a shameless promotion tool, but also because I don't speak about the book enough. And it's the namesake of the podcast. I put a lot of work and effort into the book. There's a lot to talk about in this book. Um, and sometimes when I read back, I always, I, I remember what I felt when I was writing. I wrote it during the pandemic and um, it was a lot. And I just think that there's a lot of stuff that um, I really want to be sharing through it. So I think the first few notes to self will probably come from the book and I'll tap into other books and other quotes as, as we go. But for now... Um, I think I'm going to go from here. Um, so, yeah, so this note to self is from chapter three, and um, it's page 127. And it's basically after I've spoken about a teacher when I was in primary school um, of who was very... I don't think she liked children. Um, she was a teacher and she's, you know, ironically, she's the headmistress of said place now. But um, she belittled me for crying because I couldn't do long division. Um, and it's something that I held onto for such a long time. I felt useless. I felt like I was bad at maths. But I was a, very, I was a kid who always teetered on the edge of A's and A's and B's and then C's and D's. So I was kind of like a very... I could go any way. Um, and if, again, if we're talking about this whole nurturing conversation, if I was nurtured correctly, if I was nurtured well, I probably would have been able to do a lot more in those areas if I was nurtured in that space. I probably did have a few neurodivergent tendencies um, growing up that weren't under or weren't picked up because of this whole idea, and I don't necessarily like this, but this whole idea of high functioning and stuff that doesn't present well and you're masking and all this stuff anyway um i explained that in here um and i just kind of um <laughs> it basically says um if i could go back and speak to my younger self i would tell him that it's okay to feel there's nothing to be embarrassed ashamed or afraid of in fact it's good to feel it shows that you're alive and emotionally engaged with the world around you. And it's good and even brave to be honest about those feelings by sharing your vulnerability through crying or asking for help. Only then will we be able to move forward with less fear and more love in our hearts. Real men, the reality, it's time to drop the myth that men don't cry. It's time to remember that Men are strong enough to acknowledge their own feelings and talk or even cry about them when needed. Showing vulnerability in this way and being willing to ask for help from the people we trust is the bravest thing we can do and allows for a deeper sense of love, belonging and connection in life. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I look forward to hearing from you, speaking with friends and keeping the conversation going. 
If you want to ask a question, click the link in the show notes and fill in the form. It's important that you use there to ask the questions because it helps me organize them all in one place. But you can also email alex at alexholmes.co. As mentioned earlier, if you want the full unedited conversation with Ben, then head to the show notes and join the Gated community. For just £5 a month, you can get the full archive of unedited episodes, a peek behind the podcast curtain and more to come. But more importantly, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe everywhere you find podcasts. Remember to share far and wide. Have an amazing World Mental Health Day. And remember, bad times aren't permanent. Freedom is possible. Tough times do pass. And we are not alone. All right. See you next time.